Turn your Bibles, please, to the book of John, the book of John, chapter 20. Reading this morning from the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verses 24 through 29. But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, Except I see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days, again his disciples were within, and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst, and said, Peace be unto you. Then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands, and reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen, and yet have believed." Here in John chapter 20, verses 24 through 29, we have what is referred to as the sixth post-resurrection appearance of Jesus Christ as recorded in Scripture. As with the fifth appearance, Jesus met with the disciples in the upper room. The difference being, Thomas was not present at the previous event, but he is at this one. And a week has passed between the two appearances. The first appearance, when he appeared to his disciples, was on that resurrection day when Jesus rose from the grave. Thomas was not present. And then the following Sunday is what we have here in our text, where he did appear them to again, and Thomas was there. Thomas demonstrated a great deal of skepticism during this week-long span between these two appearances. We want to look at that particular thought this morning. John's Gospel is the only one giving an account of this incident. And interestingly enough, this event coincides with the Gospel itself because the Gospel of John emphasizes the fact that Jesus Christ is God. And Thomas's remark has been considered by some here later in this text to be the climatic statement of the Gospel of John. Well... To follow up our series, and for those of you who are not here, we just completed a series on Sunday mornings with dealing with the subject, Living by Faith, looking at a number of individuals in Hebrews chapter 11 to see how God blessed and used them and rewarded them for the faith that they demonstrated in the particular area that the text brought out. So I thought this morning, and maybe for another week or two, we'll go ahead and follow up that series with a very brief series dealing with Thomas and the subject of unbelief. We've already looked at the subject of living by faith, and unbelief is the opposite of faith. So we'd like to go ahead and take a few moments to learn what we might about this particular characteristic and see how 
we might prevent unbelief from creeping into our lives as believers and how we might better reach those who are dealing with this matter of unbelief. Thomas, known as Doubting Thomas, or the Lord's skeptical disciple, gives us an an excellent example of one lacking in faith. In fact, the faith that God demands of his servants. We noted already in this previous series that uh, without faith, it is impossible to please God. So in these messages, however many we take to look at it, we're going to see The problem of Thomas in John chapter 20, verses 24 and 25, the persuading of Thomas in verses 26 and 27, and the profession of Thomas in verses 28 and 29. So today we'll get started on the first of these, the problem of Thomas. Notice with me, if you will, verse 27, then saith he to Thomas, reach hither thy finger and behold my hands. And reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing. Thomas's problem was unbelief, as I've already mentioned, which is the opposite of faith. Many today suffer from this same malady. On numerous occasions, our Lord addressed people during his ministry as to the subject of faith. For example... Mark chapter 4, verse 40, he refers to those with no faith. He said, why are ye so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? He addressed the matter of little faith in Matthew chapter 6, verse 30, when he said, wherefore, if God so clothe the grass of the field, which is today and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? He spoke of great faith in Matthew chapter 15, verse 28. Jesus answered and said unto her, O woman, great is thy faith. Be it unto thee, even as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole that very hour. He spoke of the faith of a grain of mustard seed in Matthew chapter 17, verse 20. Because of your unbelief, for verily I say unto you, if ye have faith as a grain of mustard seed, ye shall say unto this mountain, Remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. And also to the disciples he spoke of faith greater than any other in Israel. Matthew chapter 8 verse 10. When Jesus heard of it, he marveled and said unto them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. Interesting comments about this matter of faith made by our Lord. Observations that were very specific. So he turns to Thomas and makes this comment about faith. Be not faithless. What a rebuke. What a cutting mark. Thomas doesn't even merit the moniker little faith. No, he's faithless. This puts him on the same plane as an infidel and an unbeliever. You see, the world today doesn't think much of Christianity as a whole. The world doesn't have a problem with unbelief. In fact, the world often honors those who champion unbelief toward the Word of God or toward God himself. Someone has said an atheist cannot find God for the same reason a thief can't find a policeman. You know, the idea that uh, those who don't believe in God, they're not interested in learning of him. They appear to not be interested in knowing the truth of God's word and the truth of the great message that Jesus saves. 
In fact, during the last few years, atheists have been running a very aggressive advertising campaign to combat the spread of the gospel. No doubt you've heard about some of the different things that have been going on. They've held conferences, conventions, seminars to advance the premise there is no God. And uh, they've even started Sunday school classes and summer camps for the children of their unbelief. How strange that someone would spend so much time and energy working on proving someone they don't believe in exists in the first place. But anyway, unbelief. There are four very prominent traits of unbelief demonstrated in Thomas. And I'd like us to go ahead and look at those this morning as we get started. Let's refer back to verse 24. We see the sadness of his unbelief. And when I refer to the world, I'm talking about those in general who know not Christ and follow the philosophy and the dictates of our culture and our society. You understand there are two types of people in the world. There are those who are part of the family of God and those who are outside of the family of God. The saved and the lost. The redeemed and the damned. And I don't say that to be critical or harsh or condescending to anyone who does not know Jesus Christ as his or her Savior. We say that to demonstrate there is a clear delineation in God's mind and in the Word of God between those who are saved and those who are lost. There is a vast contrast between the two. Thomas, who was a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, is demonstrating the characteristics of those who are outside of the family of God. We, as God's children, face the same danger, if you will, of falling into a state of unbelief because we have a tendency at times to get away from the Lord and follow our own thinking, our own philosophy, our own desires, and get our eyes off Christ. We're at admonished in scripture, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. In the book of Hebrews, in Colossians chapter 3, we're to set our affections on things above and not on things of the earth. We're admonished to do so because we so easily look around us and get fixated on what's going on in our life, in our circumstances, and we get our eyes off the Lord. Again, Thomas demonstrated the characteristics, if you will, of unbelief in his attitude and his actions. And we're looking at this for the purpose of guarding against falling into this same trap. So we see the sadness of his unbelief in John chapter 20, verse 24. Notice, but Thomas, again, one of the twelve. This particular verse refers back to the meeting with Christ and the disciples on that first resurrection Sunday night when Thomas wasn't there. Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. The statement, one of the twelve, seems to suggest that his absence was regarded by the evangelist John, the writer of this gospel, as a dereliction of his duty. The point is, for whatever reason, he wasn't there with the other disciples in the upper room. Why not? The scripture doesn't tell us. It could very well be that his lack of faith at this particular time just led him to feel like, why bother? Now, in fairness to Thomas, all of the disciples were greatly discouraged at this point. 
All of the disciples forsook the Lord Jesus Christ on the day of his crucifixion. All of the disciples were fearful and didn't know what to do. That's one of the reasons they had gathered in the upper room and the fact that the doors were locked has pointed out that Jesus came through the door. Well, all of the disciples struggled with this, but for whatever reason, Thomas said, you know what, I just don't need to be with them at this time. I'm going to be on my own. People who lack faith are not eager to fellowship with the saints of God. To put it in present day terms, if you will, just to make it simple, people who lack faith aren't going to set any attendance records at the church house. They're not going to make a point of gathering with God's people. They're not going to be making a point of following spiritual activities or interests. No, they're not interested because of their unbelief in following the Lord. When our faith is deficient, our fellowship with the saints of God will be deficient. And our church attendance will hurt as well. People often offer many excuses for their lack of fellowshipping with the saints or their lack of walking faithfully with the Lord. Sad to say, but too many people today, and in fact too many Christians, say that church is no longer necessary. It's no longer important. It's no longer relevant. It's no longer beneficial. Beloved, let me encourage you in this thought. The scripture says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. What day? The day of our Lord's return. We believe we're living in the last days. And now, if ever, it is important for us to live for God and to be faithful to Him, to stay in fellowship with the Lord, to be on uh, in, be in fellowship with God's people, and to be faithful to do that which God has given us to do. For whatever reason, Thomas wasn't where maybe he should have been at this particular time. And it resulted in him missing some very specific blessings. Now, before we go any further, I alluded to the idea that Thomas, you know, said, well, you know, we can apply this to saying, well, he wasn't there. It's kind of a picture of people who aren't in church when they're supposed to be. Well, I think the applications can go further than that. How about for those who are not in fellowship with the Lord as we ought to be? First John chapter 1, verse 5 says, This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with him. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. God expects us to be in fellowship with him all the time. And we can't do that. If we're walking away from him, we can't do that if we're involved in sin. We can't do that if we're being disobedient. How about applying this in the area of being obedient to God and his word and doing that which he has told us to do? First Peter chapter two, verse seven says unto you, therefore, which believe he is precious, but unto them which be disobedient. The stone, which is the builder's disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner, and the stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense, even to them that stumble at his word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. How about applying this in the area of being faithful in our given responsibilities of service? 1 Corinthians 4.2, moreover it is required of stewards that a man be found faithful. 
So we can look at this passage and apply it a number of different ways to our lives. But what I want us to see that Thomas's lack of fellowship with the saints was due to his lack of faith and as a result led to a lack of blessings from the Savior. Four blessings we want to see here briefly. Notice in John chapter 20 verses 19 through 21, Thomas on that first Sunday when he wasn't present with the other disciples in the upper room missed out on God's blessed peace. John chapter 20, verse 19. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and said unto them, Peace be unto you. And then when he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you. As my Father hath sent me, so send I you. Twice Jesus stated this phrase, Peace be unto you. They were troubled, as I already mentioned. They, had, they were discouraged. They had, their Savior had been crucified. The hope that they had in Him being the Messiah seemed to be crushed. And as a result, they're gathered together now as a group of fearful men not knowing what to suspect. But all Jesus entered into the midst of them and twice said, Peace be unto you. True comfort comes from the Lord and only from the Lord. But because Thomas wasn't there, he missed out on that blessed peace that Jesus gave them. And as a result, for the remaining week, he was troubled at heart over this. The disciples relayed to him what had happened. And he said, I don't believe it. And he went on in his unbelief for a week longer than he had to. Think about what it was like for the ten disciples who were there in the upper room. Remember, twelve disciples. Judas Iscariot killed himself. Thomas wasn't present. So there were ten there. Peter, James, John, and, and all the rest. Think about the joy of heart they had. Think about the peace that flooded their heart. The peace that passes all understanding. All the rest of Jerusalem. All those who followed Jesus. They were still troubled at heart. But these men had peace because they know the truth. Jesus stood in their midst and comforted them as only he can do. Beloved, there are times in our lives as believers that it is Jesus and only him who can comfort our heart. And what a blessing to know that he does exactly that. He is able to comfort the hearts of those who are troubled. Many a troubled heart as a result of lacking in fellowship with the Lord and walking with Him. Notice also in verse 20, not only did Thomas miss out on the peace of God, he missed out on the proof of the resurrection. Verse 20 says, And when he had so said, this is Jesus, he showed unto them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. It's interesting There's no indication that when Jesus walked into the room, these disciples asked for evidence. There's no indication that any of them demanded proof. However, Jesus in his omniscience, in knowing exactly what they needed to comfort their hearts and to allay their concerns, he showed them his hands and his side. How interesting, these are the very things that Thomas demanded be provided for him. 
but he missed out on the proof because he wasn't there. See, Thomas said, unless I see his hands and his side, I'm not going to believe. These things gave proof of the resurrection, but because he wasn't there, he missed out on this great blessing. Those disciples were able to go on from that day forward, convinced that not only Jesus Christ rose from the grave, but he truly was the Messiah, as he so declared. And from that day forward, I believe their faith in him grew, and they became stronger in their walk with the Lord. They became more resilient in their desire to live for him and to serve him, and they became more active in their involvement of being a vocal witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, that kind of demonstrates the growth that they experienced as a result of being convinced that Jesus Christ was Lord. I'd ask you this, how many of us today are convinced that Christ is the Lord? How many of us know in our hearts, beyond uh, beyond any shadow of a doubt, beyond any question or the minutest concern that Jesus Christ is the Lord? I trust all of us know He is the Savior. I trust all of us know Him as our Savior. But beloved, listen, we have the assurance of knowing that He is in heaven today. And that ought to cause us to be more faithful in our walk with Him and more diligent in our desire to serve Him. Thomas missed out on that great assurance because he wasn't there. What a benefit it is to be able to sit at the feet of Jesus and learn of him. Can you imagine the awe in these men's hearts as they stood there and Jesus held out his his hands and said, Look, see, here's the proof. Beloved, what a joy to know that Jesus desires all of us as his saints to come unto him and learn of him. How do we know that? Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Jesus said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. All that we would learn this great lesson to come and submit ourselves to the Lord will lead to a life of joy and fulfillment as we walk with him and serve him. Paul was convinced of that great truth when he said that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. Paul said I want to be like him in every way. Luke chapter 24 verse 27. The story is told of the disciples there on that first resurrection Sunday. As they were all troubled and, and some of them were scattered about. And you have the story of two disciples walking along the Emmaus road. Headed back to Jerusalem. And they met a stranger in the way. And they didn't know it was the resurrected Lord. And they talked him in the way and they were troubled. And he asked them about that. And they said, well, don't you know what's been happening? Aren't you keeping up with the current events? I mean, our Lord was crucified. And we find here in verse 27, the scripture says, In beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he, Christ, expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. What a Bible study that must have been. 
having the Christ reveal every passage in the Old Testament that referred to himself to these two men. Well, you talk about an expository study of the life of Christ in the Old Testament. It must have been amazing. And then down in verse 31, it says, And their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished out of their sight. And they said one to another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us by the way, and while he opened to us the scriptures? Oh, the proof that is afforded those who trust in Christ and those who fellowship with him. We notice also in verse 20 that Thomas missed out on great pleasure. And when he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. You see, the appearance of Christ to the disciples that first Easter Sunday night resulted in great joy. They had gathered together in a fearful state uncertain of what was ahead but now their uncertainty is turned to assurance their fear is turned to joy joyous saints are not those who fail in communing with the Lord joyous saints are not those who replace church attendance and other godly activities for worldly enterprises Joyous saints are not those who avoid fellowshipping with believers of like faith and practice. You see, the world doesn't give real joy. There might be happiness obtained from the pleasures of this life, but the Bible tells us the pleasures of sin are but for a season. Their joy is temporary. Their satisfaction is fleeting. But true joy in Christ is eternal. Someone has said, no backslider is truly happy. Thomas wasn't. Thomas was troubled all that week because he missed out on being with the other disciples. He found himself in a situation similar to what Paul described when referring to those who believe not in the resurrection. He said of those folks, we are of all men most miserable. If Jesus didn't raise from the grave, then we have no hope. That was the point where Thomas found himself. That was the place of his struggle of heart. He did not believe that Jesus rose from the grave. All the gospel of Jesus Christ is good news to all who would believe the wondrous message that Jesus saves. But Thomas struggled with it. He didn't believe it. He was a picture of those who were walking in uncertainty and were not clear on whether or not he could or should believe in the message that Jesus saves. But joy, joy was in the heart of those other disciples for they knew the message was true. Habakkuk 3.18 says, Yet will I rejoice in the Lord, I will joy in the God of my salvation. I've said this many times, I believe there needs to be a greater evidence of joy in the lives of God's people. As we demonstrate to those around us, we are grateful for the gift of salvation and we walk 
in joy. Following the admonition of Paul in Philippians 4, 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. We ought to show others that we're glad that we're saved. We ought to show others that we have something to be excited about rather than walking around in the doldrums and being discouraged all the time. Yes, circumstances are, are difficult. Yes, the world is wicked. Yes, there are things going against us in our lives, in our personal activities, and in our communities, our state, our country, the world. But none of this should take away our joy. Psalm 35, verse 9, And my soul shall be joyful in the Lord. It shall rejoice in His salvation. Yes, there's much sorrow and disappointment around us. But beloved, we have the joy of the Lord. Let us demonstrate that joy. Thomas missed out on that because of his unbelief. One other thing and we'll be finished here. He missed out on purpose. John chapter 20, verse 21 reads, Then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you, as my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. You see, he missed out on the peace of God because he wasn't there to receive it. He missed out on the proof of Christ's resurrection. He missed out on the pleasure of having his discouragement washed away. He missed out on this matter of purpose. You see, at this meeting, Christ gave the disciples an assignment for service, which gave them purpose in life. Now they knew what they were supposed to do. Christ has risen from the dead, and they know now what the next step is for them as his disciples to go. And to tell. We refer to this as the Great Commission. It is one-fifth, if you will, of the Great Commission. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. We're supposed to preach Christ. And that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in His name among all nations. We're supposed to teach and to uh, disciple. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always. And we're to go in the power of God. Acts 1.8, ye shall receive power. After that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me. Both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria. And unto the uttermost part of the earth. The disciples now have it in their mind. Having stood before the Lord. Having received receive the instruction of Christ. They're supposed to go and serve Him. They're not supposed to sit around. They're not supposed to wallow in their discouragement. They're not supposed to go on uncertain about life. No, they have purpose. They have a commission. They have a command. And that command has been given to us as well. But Thomas missed out on that and continued in his unbelief, uncertain, unsure, unclear on what he was supposed to do. God's word gives clear direction to his saints in regard to his expectations for us. Isaiah chapter 30 verse 31 says, This is the way, walk ye in it, when ye turn to the right hand and when ye turn to the left. 2 Peter 2.15 tells us, Which have forsaken the right way and are gone astray. What a contrast between these two verses. Follow the Lord or wander aimlessly in the wrong direction. Follow righteousness, or follow unrighteousness. Isn't this the contrast that we see emphasized in the book of Proverbs as we're looking at that in Sunday school? But I ask you this question, is God's word at work in your life? And is it, or is he giving meaning 
to what you do on a daily basis. Are we caught up in the dull humdrum of life or are we rejoicing in knowing that we're walking with the Lord and serving him with purpose of heart, doing that which he has given us to do? We're going to have to stop here, but considering these four areas Thomas struggled in because of his unbelief, he missed out on these things because he wasn't where he should have been. At least we're using that as a premise. And the same thing will happen to us. If we're not where we should be in attendance, in fellowship with saints, in communion with the Lord, we're going to miss out on blessings that God has for us. Thomas missed out on the peace of God, the proof of God, the pleasure of God, and the purpose of God because of his unbelief. Let me close with this thought. The name Einstein is synonymous with brilliance. I think all of us would agree to that. We've all heard much about this particular man. Yet a letter he wrote January 1954 reveals his lack of understanding about God. You see, there's much debate among people as to whether or not Einstein was a Christian or not. In that letter, which by the way was written one year before his death, he shared his views about God in the Bible with philosopher Eric Gutkind. The handwritten letter in German stated this, and this is a translation from German into English, The Word of God is for me nothing more than the expression and product of human weaknesses. The Bible, a collection of honorable but still purely primitive legends which are nevertheless pretty childish. He further wrote, For me, the Jewish religion, like all other religions, is an incarnation of the most childish superstition. And the Jewish people to whom I gladly belong and whose thinking I have a deep affinity for have no different quality for me than all other people. This manuscript, which holds the musings of a brilliant, brilliant man who changed the face of physics, paved the way for nuclear power, and wrestled with the mysteries of the universe, reveal he did not believe the eternal words of Christ. How tragic to be so brilliant, yet unbelieving. God's word is a powerful book, yet for some of the brightest minds of history, they will not believe the truths contained therein. Men have rejected it, scorned it, sought to destroy it, mocked it, outlawed it, burned it, defiled it, and condemned it through the years. Yet God's word remains a shining beacon in a sin-filled world. Jesus addressed this when he said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my words and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Paul declared to the Philippian jailer, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. To the Romans he assured them with these words, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. He went on to say, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. What a contrast. Brilliant 
but unbelieving, as opposed to those who simply trust God and take him at his word. Have you received Jesus Christ as your Savior today? Do you know you have not only Christ living in your heart, but the assurance of a home in heaven when we pass from this life and enter into eternity? Thomas, as we see today and will continue to see, gives us a very clear picture of unbelief and how we need to guard against that unbelief creeping into our lives and robbing us of the blessings the Lord would have for us.